0: Okay, welcome to the church at Bethel. If you are watching online, thank you for joining us in worship. If you're just now tuning in and you're here physically, welcome back. Um, we are going to jump in into another book of the Bible. But let me remind you why we gather. We gather, as we sung earlier, because he's alive. We gather in worship because of the gospel. Jesus in our place. We don't gather because we think we're better than others. We don't think we gather. We don't gather because um, God has made us super spiritual. Or we, we don't gather because we feel like God owes us if we worship. We gather because he has done so much for us. How could we not give him glory who sent his only son to die for sinners like us? If you are new here. We want you to know that we've been praying for you. And we believe God is doing great things in your life. So we simply want to say welcome to this church gathering. If you've been here for a while, you notice the music changed. So today we jump in into a new uh, series in the book of Psalms this summer. So we will look at nine different Psalms chosen by yours truly. Different genres of The Psalms. And today we begin with Psalm chapter 1. You might ask, well where are the Psalms? An easy life hack. If you have a physical Bible, if you you don't know what that is, there's one in the pew. um, And it is free. You can take that home if you don't have one. But this won't work on your phone, of course. But open the Bible in half. And usually the Psalms is the midpoint of your text. So if you need a life hack, just let your Bible fall open. That's Psalms, Psalms chapter 1. And we will unpack something that has fascinated many cultures throughout history. Um, We believe that the ancient Sumerians, that's S-U-M, not S-A-M, were the first to really investigate this virtue in 2500 BCE. The Greeks personified her as the goddess Athena, which they believed was an essential virtue of humanity. To Socrates and Plato, they believed in something called philosophy or Phila sophia the love of Sophia, the love of this quality. In the Intuit tradition, that's your North Arctic peoples, they believed that someone who possessed this quality could see what needed to be done and to do it successfully without being told what to do. And in the Enlightenment age of the 1980s, Mr. T said this about this quality. He famously quipped, I pity the fool. Today, <laughs> today we're going to talk about wisdom. Uh, So I have two titles. The first title I scrapped, and it's not behind you, but uh, I've entitled this sermon, Five Steps to Avoid Being a Fool, or said a better way, uh, Five Steps to a Wise Life. (laughs) So whatever you want, this is five steps to wisdom in the Lord today, Psalm 1. So let's read Psalm 1. Humanity for thousands of years has wrestled with what does it look like to be wise, and how can we flee and pity the fool? Well, God's Word is no different. God's Word opens up for us what a wise life looks like. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1. I will read, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, the law of the Lord. And on the word of God, he meditates day in and day out. He is like the tree planted by streams of water. Who bears his fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does will prosper. But the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let's ask God to bless the reading of His Word and to change our lives as we jump in today. Father, we believe that Your Word is living and an active. So Lord, would You work in our hearts, work in our minds? For the one who does not believe. For the one who does not know you, may today be the day, Father, that they believe by faith. For the one who has wandered away from your assembly and they have come back today, Father, welcome them home. For the one who needs encouragement, be the the wind in their sails. Lord, meet us where we need, because you know our needs. And Lord, may we live wisely because you make us right and holy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Five ways not to be a fool. Five ways to be wise. Step number one. We see in verse one, the wise life walks by the ways of Yahweh. Verse one, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or Stand in the path of sinners or, seat, or sits in the seats of mockers. It's, it's interesting, quite interesting, that in the book of Psalms, which is the psalm book of the Bible, that this book doesn't begin with a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song. It begins with a poem of wisdom. And that's exactly what Psalm 1 is. It is a genre of wisdom. It is... Simple guys to live righteously and wisely. And the psalmist reminds us that you can live a life, if it's in the way of righteousness, you can live a happy life. How happy is the one who does not walk, who, who avoids wicked company. Now, now isn't it fitting that the scripture in this psalm begins with a loaded term like happiness. Because if I ask you, what does happiness look like in your life? And if you are hungry, you're going to say, well, happiness looks like a hamburger or a steak or whatever it might be. But we live in a world and we have lived in a world that treasures happiness for generations and generations. You say, Well, I, I don't know if that's true. Well, you are sitting in a country where we, in our pursuits and in our endeavors, we say that we desire to be a people who long for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where does that come from? How happy is the one who does not walk in the ways of the wicked. Nations have been founded on the right to be happy and to be satisfied. So if this is the blessed life, if blessedness is being happy and being joyful, what is it and how do we find it? Well, in the Christian worldview, blessedness is twofold. First, it's disassociation with the wicked. That's exactly what verse 1 says. Happy is the person who does not walk, who does not stand, and does not sit with evildoers. So, do not associate with wickedness. That's blessedness. The blessed person stays away from dark things because our God is the Father of light, not the Father of darkness. But there's a second path for the Christian. It's not just fleeing darkness. God always wants us to run to something that is better. And so for the Christian, we not only disassociate with evil, we need to associate with good. And good is found in God. So for the Christian, blessedness is to be with God and to walk in His ways. That's what we desire and long for. Happiness is fellowship with your Creator, And we often find, I believe, that happiness for many of us is a result, right? If you work hard, then you'll be happy. If you make money, then you'll be happy. If you accomplish great things, you might be satisfied. And many of us have grown up just simply thinking naturally that happiness will always be the result of something, For you, it might be going into the next grade because our young ones graduated um, last week, right? They're no longer in third grade. They're in fourth grade. They're no longer in kindergarten. They're no longer a senior in high school. They're in college or they're in the workforce. For our teachers, they graduated from semester to summer. It's a whole new experience. But maybe for you, that's a relationship you've been longing for, right? If I just have this relationship, then I'll be happy. If I get this job, then I'll be happy. If I just can um, find this prestigious institution or if, if I can do this thing, I'll achieve happiness. And religion is no different. If I can earn these points, if I can receive this baptism, if I can receive this communion, if I can find this membership, if I can do this thing, if I can be accomplished, then I will be happy. And yet we have Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, says to the world, I have tried everything under the sun, and it's all vanity, everything. Solomon is saying that happiness is not a result. Happiness is a reward. And happiness in the blessed life is the reward of walking with Jesus daily. Blessedness is walking in the ways of Yahweh. So don't answer this question out loud. You can answer it privately. Or you can answer it on the drive, on the way home. On a scale of one to ten, right now, today, in your life, what is your satisfaction scale? One being not at all. I'm miserable. It's the worst day of my life. Ten being we are living it up. I am living my best life now. Are you joyful? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Because I believe blessedness is the unique gift of the Christian life. It is the satisfaction of walking with Jesus daily. The holy life and the blessed life is available to anyone who walks in the way of Yahweh. That's the first step to being wise. Step number two, verse two. We associate with God, we disassociate with evil. Verse 2 Instead, so we're not, we're not standing with the, the evildoers, we're not sitting with them, we're not walking with them. Instead, the blessed life is delight in the Lord's instruction. And He meditates on it when? On Sunday mornings, right? No, day and night. Now don't miss this picture. The blessed life, the wise life, is not walking around with arms folded, scowled face like you sucked on a lemon. Like some of you are looking at me right now. If I'm honest, you know who you are because you're still like that. The wise life is the one who is, in the words of the psalmist, the one who has found delight. Instead, his delight is in the word of God. Now, out of all words that the psalmist could have used, he didn't use the word diligent or firm or, or faithful. He didn't say, instead, the one who white knuckles life with God is The wise person. The one who just hangs on by a thread. No. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Church, we need to be people who delight in God and delight in his word. This is who God has created us to be. And I love what John Piper says about delight and satisfaction. He says that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Some of us need to find satisfaction again. Because in Christ, the deepest answers of our life are are found. The deepest questions are, are resolved. Where will I go when I die? God answers that. Will I be found righteous or will I be found lacking when I meet God face to face? That is answered in Christ. Will God ever forgive the things that I've done before his Holiness in His throne. We find that answer in the cross. The deepest answers of humanity are found in Jesus Christ. And so we can find satisfaction in God and His Word. Delight in Him. The joy and to joy, enjoy the Word means that when you realize that gospel-shaped boundaries in His Word are best for your life, you find a deep sense of contentment in His Word. God did not give you His authority to bind you and to shackle you. Instead, gospel boundaries through the Word in your life are for your benefit and for your joy. It's to keep you alive and to help you flourish. And so if you ask me, how can I find delight in my life? How can I flourish? I would say, read God's Word. And it will bring you a unique joy in your life, as we're going to see later. Do you delight in the Word? To meditate is the word to murmur or to under your breath think about day after day. It's a lion growling, not because it's angry, but because it's this natural instinct that the word of God is growling and murmuring in your soul. Have you ever had a situation where you read an obscure verse that morning? You're reading your Bible and you're in Leviticus and you're thinking, God, really? Leviticus, you want me to live out this? And something happens later in the day. And the very verse that you read is the thing that God has used to spur His Spirit in your life. Has anyone ever had that happen? Maybe not Leviticus, okay? doesn't have to be Leviticus. That's the picture of murmuriness, that the Holy Spirit is using the Word of God in your life to continually stoke the fires of the gospel living in you. So on a scale from 1 to 10, how much delight are you finding in God and His Word today? Oh, that we would delight in the Lord's instruction and meditate on it day and night. This is the second step in finding wisdom in our lives. Delight. Don't just read it, but delight in the Word. Step three to not being a fool. Or as some of you would think, step three to being a wise person. The wise life flourishes spiritually. The wise life flourishes. Spiritual. Look at verse 3. If you don't believe me, look at the Word. He is like a tree. The one who delights in the Word is like a tree planted bef- beside what? Flourishing streams. Okay? Now we're going to go back to that. Because this is in the Middle East. There aren't a lot of flowing streams in the desert. Hold that thought. Bears its fruit when? When it should. When it should. And his leaf does not what? Does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Now that is not God saying, you be you and God will sanction you. That is God saying, Josh, if you live your life in the delight of my word, and if you live your life in association through the sun, then what you do will be my will. And when you do my will, whatever you do will prosper. Think about that as a promise. The wise person flourishes. I think of it this way. If you were an apple tree... You would have apple cobbler your whole life because that's why God made apples right for apple cobbler and that's that's the spiritual insight today with lots of sugar and, and vanilla ice cream with beans in preferably that's the flourishing life in my mind I'm really hungry today but I church I want this life like, I want the life where what I do and how I live, people will see me and and say, that's not a, a little sapling fighting for survival, but we see God do great things in his life. I'm going to live a life that a hundred years from now, when a pastor stands up and says, hey, raise your hand if you gave your life at Vacation Bible School, that someone one day would raise their hand and say, I remember when this person named Josh in St. Kirk County shared Jesus with me in a park, and I gave my life to Christ, and God used him to change my life. I want to live a life where there is fruit, not only today, but that there will be fruit from generation to generation to generation because we are living in the wise counsel of the Spirit of God. So how does this happen? Let's go back to the streams. In the Middle East, you don't have many flowing streams of nourishment. Most scholars believe that these are irrigation canals. So let me read it a different way. He is like a tree planted beside irrigation streams. Now let me ask you, how does a tree get near an irrigation canal? Let me answer that for you. Because you're looking at me. Some of you still have your arms crossed. Stop it. Delight in God. Trees don't dig trenches. Only the master gardener can dig a trench. And it's the reminder that God plants you, and if you seek Him, He will plant you near a flourishing stream of living water that once you drink it, you will never thirst again. That's the picture of this psalm. Although yearly weather patterns might affect the tree, it still grows because there's water. There's a source that cannot be stopped. Church, this is what we have in Jesus Christ. We have a source of living water that even on your driest day, God is providing a stream of nourishment through the fountain that comes from his throne. This is the wise Life. The life in Jesus Christ. Think about the words of the Messiah. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might barely make it into heaven. That's what some of us believe. No, Jesus says this. I have come that you might have life and have it... How? That they might be planted by streams that there is no pit of hell that could suck out the water. That's the flourishing life in Christ. And it's the reminder that fruit and foliage balance each other. You need leaves to receive nourishment. But when we think of trees, who's the fruit for? Does the tree ever experience the delight of the fruit? No. The fruit of a tree is for the gardener and for the future. It's for future trees. It's for the forest and the future. And in the same way, God wants to bear fruit in your life, not for your sake, that you might glorify the gardener and that the future might know that God is still good. May we bear much fruit. May we flourish Spiritually, So again, on a scale from 1 to 10, are you flourishing spiritually? Are you the little sapling in the desert thinking, I just need a drop of something? Or are you planted by the canal where every day there's a source of living water in your life? Church, this is possible for the Christian life. That's what God desires in your life. Whatever he does will prosper. That's not all, though. There's two more steps in the wise Christ life. Verse 4 and 5. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So if the wise person walks with God... And drinks from the well of God. And bears fruit for God. The fool embodies the opposite. Did you notice the brevity of the wicked person? The the Bible says that the wicked person is like chaff. That the, the wind will quickly blow away. Now what is chaff? It's the reminder that in season. When the crop would bear grain. That the harvester would have to separate what was waste from what is useful. useful, The grain was what you eat. The grain is what nourished you. The grain is what kept your village alive and helped your family, brought you wealth. And so the harvesters would gather all the grain and they would bring it most likely to some type of high area and they would throw the grain with the husk and the chaff in the air. And when it was in the air, the wind would catch what was useless, the chaff, and it would blow it away. And what was useful, what was nourishing, what was good for the the sower would fall back down to earth. Now in those two situations, those that are of substance and of good and those that are of brevity and light... Where does the wicked person fall into that scenario? Well, it's very clear. The Bible says that the wind will blow away the wicked. And it's a reminder that the Christian life is molded and it is useful for the Lord in His glory. You see, the wise life stands in righteousness. The wise life is useful for God. It continues. Not only is the wickedness brief and useless. You don't want to eat it. Verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The psalmist is very clear. The wicked life will have no leg to stand on. One day before a holy and a righteous God. Now most would argue that this is not referring to the last judgment. And I would agree with that. I believe the psalmist is talking about in that moment that wicked people will not stand in the counsel of the righteous people because God knows who is who. But do not be mistaken. There will be a final judgment for every person. And Revelation describes it this way. Revelation 20. John says... I saw a great white throne, and there was one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence. Now, think about that for a moment. It's as if heaven and earth say, this is not good. We are out of here. It's like, it's like having people, like having siblings, and when one, when one gets in trouble, the other one leaves thinking, this is not good. I'm not going to be in the council of the judgment. So heaven and earth are saying, we we don't want to be here. There was no place found for them. I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened. The book was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works, which was written in the books. Scripture is very clear In our lives, wicked people, evil people will be judged according to their works. And the righteous will be judged according to the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of guilty sinners. Let me say it one more time. One day when you look God in the face, you will either be judged based on what you have done or on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. And the difference between the two camps is faith. Because we all, if judged by our works, have no leg to stand on before the judgment seat of God. There's not a single person here who has lived a holy life. But because of Jesus, we can look at God and say, God, there is nothing good in me, but your son died on the cross for me. Your son, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. And God will look at the righteous person and he will say, Josh, you are guilty, but Jesus paid your debt. You are righteous. You are made right with me. Enter into my presence. Church, the righteous life stands before God. And we can stand with boldness. And confidence. So again as we reflect on this. When you stand before God. And do not be mistaken. You will stand before God. Will you stand? Or will the winds of judgment blow you away? The Lamb of God takes away your sin. And you can know today. Today. That when you see God face to face, you can boldly go before him because of Jesus. The righteous stand before God. And there's one more. Verse 6. I I promise you five steps. I don't want to lead you to the top of the staircase and not complete. Verse 6. Fifth step. The happy person walks in the way of the God, the way of the Lord. The wise person delights in his word. The wise person flourishes spiritually. The wise person can stand before God with boldness. And the wise person will be embraced by the Father. Verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The word used here, again, is another peculiar word. When the psalmist says that God watches, it's the same word that means God embraces. God brings near. So in essence, God is not distantly watching you from a faraway kingdom. God is near to you. God is embracing you in your life. The Father embraces the way of the righteous. Think about how this was modeled by our Savior Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus did some very peculiar things that the world would say, don't do that. That's not how we live. Stay arm's distance. Remember when he was passing through this crowd and a woman who had a bleeding disorder was pressing in on him and she touched him and was healed. And Jesus stopped and said, Who touched me? And his disciples said, Jesus, Rabbi, let's keep going. There's no way of knowing. And yet Jesus turned and looked at her and embraced her. She was healed. Think about the leper in Mark chapter 1 who runs up to Jesus and says, Savior, if you are willing, heal me. And Mark describes a very very peculiar scene because if anyone touches a leper who has a skin disease, that person who touches the the unclean person is also unclean. So the one who is cast out from society now makes you the person who is cast away from society. And the Bible says that the Messiah touches him and heals him. Don't forget the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15. The parable of the two lost sons. One uh, goes away and uh, gambles the money away, throws parties, and he, he longs to come home. And he, he finally is rehearsing this narrative in his head and says, God, Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against earth, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Um, just let me be a servant. And do you remember how Jesus describes the father's reaction to the lost, prodigal son? In Luke 15, Jesus says that the father threw his arms around the son's neck. He embraced him, threw a robe on him and said, Welcome home, the one who is lost has been found. We have a father who embraces the way of the righteous person. God does not keep you at arm's distance. God does not tolerate you. He embraces you. This is the way of the righteous life. In 2016, an apartment building home to a lot of migrant workers in China collapsed, killing 22 people. Investigators contributed it to the heavy rainfall in the area uh, combined with the poor construction quality because the the edifice was built by the villagers themselves. As rescuers were frantically searching for survivors under and a pile of of concrete rubble, they found a young child who was actually wrapped in her father's arms. And when the China Youth Daily reporter asked the the rescue workers, they said, describe the scene to us. The workers said this. They said, the child was able to survive entirely thanks to the fact that her dad used his own flesh and blood to prop up a life-saving space for his daughter. The father's embrace gave his daughter Life. That is exactly what God the Father did for you when He let Jesus die on the cross. It was God saying, I will let my Son die that you might have a place where you will find life again. This is the way of the righteous. And in the Christian worldview, church, wisdom is never only a virtue to attain or an attitude to hold. Wisdom always calls for a response. Wisdom is not a thing and it's not a philosophy. For the Christian, wisdom is a person. Because that which is wise and good is Jesus Christ. So I ask you, have you ever Given your life by faith to Jesus maybe when I talk about delighting in God and being blessed and happy you, you think this will never happen to me it can by faith in Jesus maybe you think There's, I've done so many things in my life I will never find contentment, I am the fool but God can change you Because the Father's embrace changes our lives. Spurgeon said it this way. He says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's not having knowledge, it's using it rightly. Will you respond to Jesus Christ today? I know that some of you are here because for the first time, God wants to open your spiritual ears and hear the life-saving message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for foolish people. Church, I'm in that camp. That those who were enemies of the cross might be made children of God by the atoning work of His Son, Jesus. That those who are terrified of judgment might be able to stand boldly in righteousness and say, God, I know I've sinned, but Jesus took my place. And you've forgiven me. Not only did you forgive me, but you threw my sin away. As far as the east is from the west. Satan, you go find that. That's the hope that we have in the gospel. And in all this, God asks us to respond rightly. If you're wise today, you can be wiser. If you're foolish today, you can be made wise. If you are far from God, He is ready to throw His arms around you and embrace you because Jesus has already made the way. Will you trust Him by faith? That is His response and His invitation to you today. If you need to talk to someone about faith, about life, I will be down front in our moment of response. If you want to come and pray, if you need to fill out that Connect card. But church wisdom is not about right knowledge. It's about right response to the way and the path of everlasting. Let's pray.